Man Talk Around the Watering Hole is brought to you by the Patriarchy. Ladies, leave the room, start some dinner, and allow the conspiracy to continue. Welcome to Man Talk Around the Watering Hole. I'm your host, Conver Magnuson. With me, as always, is Chuck Thomas. Hey there, fellas. And today we're talking about conflation. Now, the reason we're talking about conflation is because this is one of the most used tactics used by the left. And I believe that if you disarm this tactic, just this one, you will scatter or disarm 80% of their attack. What's that? I'm glad you asked that, Chuck. Conflation is when you take one thing and pretend it's something else. You can conflate a person with a group. You can conflate a group with a person. You can conflate one object with another object. You can do this to just about anything you want. And as you'll see from this episode and from this list I've compiled here, you'll see that liberals conflate just about everything that they can get their hands on. The first thing liberals conflate is nationalists with white nationalists. Now, this is this is an I, I, I'm pointing this out first because it's an especially bullshit argument. Because you know the interesting thing is, is you say, "Well, I don't like nationalists because nationalist is half of white nationalist." Well, you have to add white to it to make it half of that. So that that alone should show how stupid you are, and Stephen Colbert did this, and it, it, it was just, it was one of the worst pieces of reasoning that I, I think I've ever heard. And That's some new math bullshit right yeah, there. Yeah, it, it's, it's partly that, but you wouldn't dare call a Japanese nationalist a white nationalist. You wouldn't dare go over to Japan and maybe go to a nationalist convention over there and say, you people are assholes. You know why? Because you're nationalist, and nationalist is half a white nationalist. It's like, well, it's, no, they're Japanese nationalists. But the thing is, there's only one country in the world that's a melting pot. Mm-hmm. And that is the United States. Right now, you can look at Europe, where they're having a horrible time of trying to uh, assimilate or integrate foreigners. They're having a very hard time of it. Uh, Russia did a piss poor job of it. That's why all the countries ended up breaking apart. And they're still loosely affiliated in the Commonwealth of Independent States, whatever the fuck they call it. But they weren't ever able to assimilate all those countries. We're the only country that you can, that, that you're going to see a Filipino fucking drill sergeant in. Mm-hmm. This is one of those, that's someone who's probably a nationalist. That's someone who's a patriot. He, he's pro America. People come from other countries and gain citizenship through military uh, service. That's not typical of every country in the world. And the fact of the matter is, those are black and brown people often, and they very much love America and are nationalists. And what, it has nothing to do with race. Yeah, once again, you're not, you're not calling any of, any of those people white nationalists either. And, and the thing is, is that being a nationalist for America isn't even, a, isn't even an ethnocentric thing because we're not an ethnocentered state, right? We're the only state, actually, in this planet 
and is not based on an ethnicity. And that, that much cannot be overstated because that is the complete opposite of racism, which, of course, we've talked about before as being a problem with, with leftists, is they have racist Tourette syndrome where they like to call everything racist. We'll get to that, too, on this list. But, but once again, it's, it's that, that matter of conflating nationalists with white nationalists, and it becomes conflating of other groups, too, that are, that are disparate and not necessarily part of, of the right. And I, um, I've probably said this before, too, but there is, there, there, the, the myth of the far right is exactly that. It's a myth. There is no far right in this country. There are only strict constitutionalists and stricter constitutionalists. Uh, but basically, the, the, the things liberals accuse of being far right, which include fascists, uh, Nazis, um, you know, uh, they don't accuse socialists and communists of, of it, but obviously all, all those things are to the left of us, actually. And that, that much needs to be said, too, because you're not going to get a bunch of people who are constitutionalists on board with your big government solutions. You're just not. It's, it's completely incompatible with being a constitutionalist. And that's, that's because, and I, it's, this is just a, a talking point, but it's so true, the, the Constitution was set up to put the chains on the government, not to put the chains on people. All right, I want, I want to visit that really quick, and then I want to go back to the alt-right and, and the European race, which is a fallacy. So... The argument I've made repeatedly is every one of the amendments gives rights. So when people talk about, well, I know the Constitution can change. That's why they call it an amendment. Kill yourself. The first ten amendments gave more rights to the people. Every amendment after that gave more rights to the, the, to the people with, I think, two exceptions. One was prohibition, and that didn't work out very well, now did it? It gave more rights to the government, and the government instantaneously abused them. So, I, I completely agree with your point here. But uh, the conflating, it's interesting because I constantly hear leftists, and it's people who have no fucking comprehension of the Bible, they will quote passages out of the Old Testament about slavery, and they will say, see, this is what Christians think. The Old Testament is generally considered no longer relevant. It is an historical document to talk to you about how we got to this point. Would you, would you improve on that statement? Uh, yeah, only, only to say that uh, I, think the, I think the whole Bible really uh, just boils down, and, it, and this is, a, this is a, probably a gross oversimplification, but rabbis have said it. The Bible just says, you know, love God, love everybody. The rest is commentary. Okay, so you can you can take the whole Bible as as commentary of that, and the New Testament is is further commentary. Jesus, I think, is just telling you unequivocally to love God, treat others the way you want to be treated. How do you do those two things? Well, you appreciate the things that you have, and you forgive everybody for everything. The, on these points, I believe he is completely uncompromising. You cannot be a Christian and not do these things. And uh, at the at the same time, uh, everything else, once again, is is 
that aforementioned commentary I'm talking about. It's all trying to expand on those points and to 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 make them more real. You know, I, I think if you're if, I think if you read the Bible and you're looking for literal truth, you're going the wrong way about it. You should look for profound truth or truth beyond truth, as I call it, and that means the universal stuff, the things that are that are good for your soul, the things that work for you. And I, I, I think of myself as kind of living proof of this. If you practice these things, you will feel better and you will get better. So that's my that's my thoughts on it. It, it helps you reach uh, psychological or uh, or uh, emotional eureka moments where you have yeah. this profound. Uh, understanding of something and it, and it helps you get this closer step. I think it's kind of parallel in some sense to uh, the Buddhist philosophies and stuff like that. I want to go back to the, yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, so, so point being is um, but the amazing thing is how much they cry about Republicans supposedly not being uh, Christian and the thing they, they want to say is that Jesus was a communist he would advocate for these big that government. Is, that is conflating charity. Big government. Yeah, conflating yeah. charity with communism. So, so as big government taking things that aren't theirs and giving it to people, it's also not theirs. And and the problem with well, that is, is that the Bible nowhere says that. And and if anything, the Bible the is, is a, the the Bible is a is a. Um, if anything, is a is a focused meditation on the importance of charity, which is the willful giving away of your goods and your wealth in order for the betterment, for the altruistic betterment of other people. And what the is, problem with what the, is the one time, notably, that Jesus is violent? When he overturns tables at the te- temple for the money changers, and, he, and it's it's the and it was just not money changers, but it's tax the tax men. Yes, yes. Right? Specifically, taxmen, the people taking money from you for government. Mm-hmm. It is pushing for, he pushes for charity, and one of the few times he lashes out is at the taxman. Yeah, yeah. So, the I mean, uh, yeah, that's, that, is, that is absolutely 100% true. And that's, that's just one of the ways religion is the total opposite of, of communism, which itself is based on envy. Which is one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet, covet thy neighbor, neighbor's ox. You know, it, it, the, the, it is so important to not be envious in the Bible that they made it one of the big commandments. They don't have any other commandments against thought crime, and, now, they, and yet that's, that's one of them. One of, the, one of the other points I make with that, and it's the difference, is force. And I will make the argument, and, I have, and I've been pretty consistent with this for most of my life, that... Uh, there's nothing wrong with segregation. There's nothing wrong with desegregation. There is something wrong with forced segregation or forced desegregation. They are not the same thing. If, if, uh, if you look at the lunchroom at an elementary school, it will often be, be separated by race. And those kids have broken down into their own groups on their own. They have segregated themselves. But it is voluntary. And, and that is, if we're talking about you know, consensual interactions and force, force is evil. Right. Let's go back to conflating race. Because up until the last hundred years, you wouldn't consider 
an Irishman and an Englishman and a Frenchman to be the same race. They are Irish, English, and French, not white. You may call them European. That is a geographical representation of, of where they are from, not a definition of, of their ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And what's more incredible is you separate the, the Celts or the Gauls into at least three groups, three major groups now, and that would be the, uh, the Irish, the Scottish, and the Welsh. These are groups that get along well enough now, but they have been at odds for a great deal of time over the past thousand years. It is, it is for a majority of that time, it has not been a good relationship. And that's the same with the English and the French. And at times, England and France were, were arguably the same country. Uh, under uh, Richard the Lionheart, for one. Mm-hmm. So that's at least ten years where... It was supposed to be the same country. Uh, as a note, uh, he probably never spoke uh, English. Yeah, much of the royalty didn't at the time. Much of the royalty, their language was French, and that's uh, that that Frenchness actually, uh, in in many ways, impacted English to a, to such a great degree that current English right now, for example, is much different from old English, and it's it, it's much much. Uh, much more dramatically different than German from Old German, or or French from Old French, or or other other similar languages that have that have aged in such a way, and that's that's because of that French influence. Uh, my my acting teacher, hopefully he'll I got this right, he'd be proud. Uh, thanks, Fui. But uh, the so the way he explained it was the Shakespearean English would have had almost like a Scottish accent. And I think the person to compare it to would be Patrick Stewart himself as, as being a perfect representation of what that speech was like. And from what I understand, uh, we came up with the first uh, dictionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it was Rhotic English uh, that, was, that was being spoken, which is, uh, which is our English, definitely mine, you know. Um, uh, our our accent here in the in the United States, where we pronounce those ending R's and things like that, they they kind of stopped doing that because they had a royalty that wanted to separate itself from the commoner, and the best way they thought they could do it was uh, through lexical, I, I guess, changes. Well, not just the commoner, but to separate themselves from the American who they were calling commoners. Yeah. So so. Funny enough, we have possibly a more accurate to 300 years ago accent uh, in England than the modern day English do, yeah. which maybe the case would play for uh, play through with the uh, the Cockney accent. Yeah, that's you know a little bit goofy, a little bit uh, a lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, yeah, yeah. To, uh, look well, at that chat. Staring fucking daggers, man. Yeah. He wants to fuck shit up. He looks pissed. Nice. And his head looks like a transformer. Anyways, I wanted to talk also about... Because the Bible is charity and, and uh, communism is the opposite of that, of course. Uh, communism being the opposite of that actually has wrongs that go two ways. And the way, the way that the wrong goes two ways is exactly how Dennis Prager said it. So I'm, I'm quoting directly from him here, I, I think. Uh, I've been trying to put the words together for a while, but it, 
Um, I finally did it. It has made unwilling donors and ungrateful recipients. That's what. That's basically what welfare welfare does in a nutshell. Whereas you know, once again, um, back to charity. Charity is the the opposite of those things. Charity is by definition a willing donor, and by definition it should be a grateful recipient. Uh, at least that's that's the way it works in the best of all possible worlds. Assuming there's no other way you can help the people who are less fortunate than you, who are poorer than you, who you know who have whatever situation they have that's that's different from yours. And this is, a, this is not a way of putting yourself in other people's shoes, but it's saying, hey, I can help your situation here, even though I don't come from your background and under, understand. I may not understand where you're coming from the best here, but I, I can still try to help. The, uh, the whole interest of helping someone move forward in life seems to get stalled in a welfare system. But the interesting thing is with uh, charity that sometimes it's the little things that help you get through and then you buckle down and and you're able to restore your life and get back on track or maybe you just you just don't fall into a pit uh, into a, a rut and, and don't have the problems and are able to move forward and get your life under control but the, the interesting thing with uh, uh, the whole welfare system is it has a cliff once you're on it it is hard to get off of it without crashing Right. It's hard to get off with it without crashing, and it's been said that it's harder to get off of it. It's harder to kick it than it is to kick heroin, even. And uh, we might have to go back for me to point this out, but the, uh, the whole reason why I'm saying the, the English are different from the French and the Irish is a reference to the white nationalist thing. Yeah, yeah. The, the idea of there being a European race or a white race or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's a, um, Europe is not like China and China itself isn't in, you know, one single indigenous population. Yeah. They are not homogenous. Right. Right. And, and, you know, that's why they have two different languages. They have Mongols in the uh, North. They have a Mongol influence in their government and their history. Um, I think it's pretty incredible how often people have this tendency to say that uh, all white people are racist without really acknowledging the fact that it's it's dozens of ethnicities. Yeah. But we'll call the Chinese a single race. Yeah. And and, and the Japanese and there, there's actually a I'm not sure if you were aware of it. Did you know there was a white indigenous people of Japan? Hmm. I did not know that. They're called the Ainu. Now they are Asian, but they are very pale. Mm-hmm. But they are considered a, a lesser class of human. They do not get treated well there. Oh, and, and I mean, like that's one of the things uh, you often find in other societies, far more so than here. I mean, like we have not had a a an extinction of a race here. We have not tried to wipe people out. And a lot of people will try to make the argument that you know we did try to have this genocidal war against the Indians. That isn't accurate. The, the fact of the matter is, we did introduce disease to them. Overwhelmingly, they were killed by disease. That was not an overt uh, attack from Europe. That's 100% true, by the way. I wish, I wish more people would point that out instead of, you know, instead of this bullshit that we somehow 
managed on our own to genocide over 150 million people, you know, supposedly. And I, I also wonder where they get their numbers on how many people were over here, too, because that sounds like way more than Europe at that time. But um, another, you know, and, and and I've heard some that arguments a, that that may be may be true, and that, that there may have been more people here than there were in Europe, and that it was anywhere from ninety to ninety, <laughs> you know, eight ninety nine percent of uh, Americans died. But this is this is more conflation, which is uh, which is probably accidental, but. Uh, calling all Native Americans the same people? No, they were they were not the same people. They were different people from different nations. They ate each other. They treated people like they treated each other like savages. You know, sorry to say the S word. Some of them, yeah, yeah. Some of some of them did. Some of them didn't. Uh, but once again, we're not generalizing them all. We're not conflating them all into one one peoples. They did not own this country when we came here. You know, some of the tribes from around the Great Lakes are where uh, Benjamin Franklin got his analogy of. Uh, I think he took an arrow and snapped it in half, and then he took six arrows and, and made. And I forget his exact wording, but said, "Together, we bend and are strong, and we can resist uh, breaking." And that was an analogy he'd actually got from the tribe. Some of the uh, democracy had actually come from the local tribes. We did have a good relationship with a lot of tribes. Um, not all of them, obviously, but that's because, you know, when you have... So in Vietnam, for example, we actually went with one of the tribes that was indigenous there, the Montagnards that were in the mountains, because they were enemies to the uh, Vietnamese and the Southlands. Mm-hmm. That's something that, that happens, and in the Americas, you had the French took one side, and the Americans took, or I should say the English took the other side. And over time, that generally became the uh, Americans. But, I mean, that split three and four ways. There were tribes that were on the Canadian side and tribes that were on the American side. There were tribes that were with the Spanish or the French or the English or us. It's not just one group, and it, and it was always on the losing side of everything. Mm-hmm. But there was, a, if, if I remember the story correctly, there was one man that they found when they found Plymouth Rock. When they landed there, they found one native. And he was walking around, and the village was, there was an existing village, and it was abandoned. And it was because everyone there died. He had actually, if I remember correctly, had actually been taken back to England and taught English. So shockingly, this man knew English. Mm-hmm. And he was able to show all the uh, settlers how to plant corn and to bury fish with the corn to uh, give it nutrients and so on and so forth. And he was largely the person who instructed them how to uh, how to survive in these harsh, brutal winters there and, and how to harvest crops. So a, lo- a lot of horrible things were done, but there's a huge difference between an intentional genocide and an unintentional. Right, right. And, and there's a big difference... Between 400 years ago, or 400 plus years ago, because Plymouth Rock wasn't even 400 years ago, <clears throat> between 400 years ago and the Armenian suicide, the genocide that was 100 years ago, the Holocaust that was 70 years ago, yeah, the ones going on in Africa right now, yeah, you know, there's no real reason to be hung up on on atrocities. That were done by your great grandfather's great grandfather's great grandfather. There's there's. Uh, but that that speaks to another problem of 
of conflating once again is they conflate the past with the present. And, the uh, sin of the father with the son. And it's very much true that if you, you know, the, the, the past with the present, uh, the past does not apply if the present is changed. And, um, but, but more, probably even more to their point, uh, black people like to talk about the past and the present. I think they're actually doing worse off today than they were a hundred years ago because of a stoked victim mentality and because of a lot of democratic policy, which is which has uh, been essentially vote by, vote buying uh, when they the, when Republicans ended racism in the in the 1960s. Democrats took up that mantle. They, they ended and they ins- institutional racism. Yeah, because they, they ended institutional racism. And um, and they said, all right, you're on your own now. You're responsible. Let's treat you like adults. And that's immediately when Democrats came in and started buying their votes through welfare checks and all kinds of systems and programs, which once again lead to this welfare state of, of uh, unwilling donors and ungrateful recipients, and that's that's it, once again this goes right into another conflation, which is rights with commodities, commodities with rights. Free speech is a right; it's also free if you protect it. Health, free health care, is not a right; it's a commodity. It's a commodity. If you force people to buy into health care with their financial independence through taxation, it becomes not even a commodity, but a ration for slavery. And that's the, that's the big problem with conflating rights with, uh, with commodities like this, is that it's, um, they, they won't admit that's a problem too. But, but once again, all these, all these lists of problems that we're going down right now, all these conflations are, are weaponary tactics that they're trying to use to convince you that things are a certain way when they actually couldn't be more the opposite. So, once again, free healthcare. Not free, not a right. And it's, let's not kid ourselves, it's nowhere near free. Uh, people, people are paying dearly for it, if, if they are. Well, you have to remember that in some of these European countries, they're paying over 50% into taxes. They have a massive tax rate in uh, places like Denmark and and Holland, and uh, they in the Scandinavian states you do have a very free market capitalist system with a lot of social programs. So they are still socialist. Um, they just don't have the ownership uh, exactly the same way. So th- the problem is when you stop treating a commodity like a commodity and you treat it like a right, the market doesn't fluctuate with it. And mm-hmm. and that affects how purchasing works and it affects how you're able to recover from a drop in the market. I'm, I'm going to struggle with explaining this. I think I got it right. So uh, you, uh, you run a hospital, uh, the market gets tough. You know, the price of everything goes up. You're still purchasing everything. But I have to give it at the same price to everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't let me expand services. It doesn't let me train existing employees. It doesn't let me train new employees. When you allow a commodity to act like a commodity, you end up having more flexibility in the system. It's able to take a breath uh, 
and exhale and balance itself with the income generated and the cost of, uh, of uh, the products and services that they need to run. And you balance out yourself as part of this system with your, um, with your income. So if you, if you have your financial income and then you've given it up to this health insurance... What are you going to do when, when it goes tits up, you know? You end up going tits up yourself. So the thing is that when you have skin in the game, and here's, here's a good example. Um, my uncle went to England on a cruise, and he was, he was talking about how great the uh, English healthcare system was. He had a toothache. He went to the dentist there. They pulled his tooth. He did not have a bill. Mm-hmm. And Americans will be like, well, oh, my God, it would be so expensive here. It's because they don't pull your tooth here. They replace your tooth. Or they fix your tooth. Mm-hmm. We have a much higher quality of dentistry here in the United States than you do in, in Europe. We've always had that. We've always had that. We've been, we've been I, I don't know why we've been cutting edge on that on that front, but I, I that would, specific front, we've I been... I don't know the answer. Really good. I have a suspicion it's entertainment industry related. Because you, you have a straight yeah. tooth smile. Right? There you go. Yeah. So, uh, but when you, you know, that, that isn't just dentistry, it's like that across healthcare. Mm-hmm. So let's say, um, well, I have arthritis, I just had PRP done and I did it out of pocket, platelet rich plasma. They take my blood, they spin it, they add some stuff, they inject it back in to my alien areas, which was as it is, my uh, pelvis and my lower back to fix some soft tissue like ligaments and tendons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I did it out of pocket. Now, I had to have it done right now. Um, I, I couldn't put it off any longer. But I'm going to probably do two more two more sets of it. This isn't covered by insurance. It's going to be all out of pocket. If I'm doing well financially, I don't have to have the next two right away. If I'm doing well financially, I will. If I'm not, I'll put them off for a little while longer. I'll, I'll give myself a little bit more breathing room. That would be a practical application of when you are able to adjust your needs around your finances. A lot of people want to say, yes, but when you have the emergency, okay, well, you're, you, you have emergencies. You have to have flexibility in order to build up capital. Capital is how you handle emergencies. Capital is how you make purchases. Capital is how you start companies. Without capital, you don't have the the buildup of commodities that makes those things cheap. That's the interesting thing, is that communism starts out without that capital and uh, expects you to just fabricate it into, into thin air, which is why you end up with notorious, notorious working conditions and in communistic countries, you know, especially, I mean, good God, I've heard of some people in Haiti and Venezuela, people in Haiti just dump themselves in shit, like, literally, and that's, that's just insane. Haiti is a, is a, an interesting situation, because, uh, we went into Haiti after the hurricane and tried to help them, and they were so anti-government, because they, they were afraid of slavery, that they did not want our help to fix the system. That is why we were never able to get that back up off the ground. Because uh, Haiti was, has never been off the ground. Mm-hmm. Haiti has always been a clusterfuck. And I'm a libertarian. I'm a small government guy. 
they are below that threshold of small government that I think is necessary. Yeah. Okay. They can't operate it all on their own. They're a, they're a total nightmare. This has been a Watering Hole production. No unicorns were hurt during the recording of this production. Some feelings were, but that's okay because they're about as real as those unicorns. For memes and bonus content, join us at facebook.com slash MTA TWH. These are the gentlemen of Man Talk signing off. Godspeed. Godspeed.